All right, so Pontius Pilate, um, when he, he was interrogating Jesus Christ, um, right before he was about to be crucified, he asked what is probably the, the most thought about and debated question in all of history. He looked at Jesus and he just simply said, what is truth? And, and this is a question that we've all asked um, in our lives, and, and the, the world especially has several answers that they'll give you for this. So for example, um, the dominant view of what truth is amongst the academic secular world is anything that can be defined or taken out of the scientific method, right? So you've got an idea, you, you form a hypothesis, and you do tests and you experiment, and if your results line up with your hypothesis, then you say, okay, that's true. Well, the only problem with that is that we are constantly developing technology that allows us to see things more clearly, take more accurate measurements, and every single day we, we do some kind of experiment that just completely demolishes what we considered to be true before. This happens all the time in science. And so the scientific method and what the world wants to say this is what truth is, it isn't sufficient for us to base our life upon because it's literally the next day a discovery could be made that brings your whole worldview crashing down. And so that's what the, the, the secular academic world will tell you is the standard of truth, the scientific method. But that's not sufficient. That doesn't work. Now, the, the, the dominant view amongst the culture, okay, not, not the academic um, world, but the culture, is relativism. And it's the idea that what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. I can define my own truth. What I want to be true is true. What you want to be true is true. We, we define it ourselves. Now, this is especially dangerous because what this is is just a slippery slope that just leads to nothing having meaning and nothing having purpose whatsoever. And the most obvious example of this is in morality. Okay, because now today what you see is that people say, I can decide my own gender or I can decide my own ethnicity, you know, um, and that that's very dangerous. We see this, the, the, the morals of society crumble if we understand that, if we believe that truth is just whatever we want it to be. So the solution to that problem is that we have to have a standard, right, that we must conform to that doesn't constantly change. Okay, like the, the truth that is generated by the scientific method and one that doesn't exist only in our minds, ones that we don't create. And it's just subject to everybody's emotions and, and desires. And so in Christianity, all right, the Bible is that standard. The Bible is the standard by which we derive and examine and test anything and everything that we consider to be true. So everything that we're going to learn in this class, everything for the next nine weeks, is completely derived from the Bible because the Bible is the only authoritative resource that we have that defines our faith and our practice. So the Baptist faith and message is a, is a um, doctrinal statement that Baptist churches adhere to, okay? And this is what the Baptist faith and message has to say about the Bible. And this is just a portion. It says, The Bible is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. So therefore, all Scripture is totally true and trustworthy. So as Christians, and, and as you can see as, as Baptists, we believe that the Bible is the sole authority, is the standard of truth that we base everything on. And unapologetically, here at FBCNL, we hold to that. Um, we, we regard the Bible in the highest esteem. Um, 
So what is the Bible? The Bible is, the word Bible comes from the Greek biblos, which just means book. Okay, pretty standard, easy name there, book. This is book. But it's not just one book, it's 66 books total, divided into two portions. You have the Old Testament that has 39 books, and you have the New Testament that has 27 books. Um, The Bible contains several different types of writing, okay? It's got books of law, such as Leviticus and Deuteronomy, historical books like Ezra and Acts, books of poetry like the Psalms and Ecclesiastes, books of prophecy like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Revelation. It has biographical works like Matthew and John, that's what we call the Gospels, and it has epistles, which are like formal letters like Philippians and Ephesians. Um, the, the Bible was written over a span of 1,500 years in three different languages, Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, by over 40 different authors, all from various cultures, countries, backgrounds, socioeconomic statuses. And yet, no matter how diverse the Bible is, it is unified in its message and content, which that right there is an incredible testament to the fact that this is the Word of God. So the next question after what is the Bible is, how did we get the Bible? So, considering what the Bible is, it's, 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 safe to, it's safe to ask, how did we get this? And, and if we understand that the Bible is a record of absolute truth, and that that absolute truth belongs to God, then we can refine that question even further by asking, how did the truth get from God to us? And there is a term that we use to describe this process, and it is inspiration. This is probably the, uh, the first blank there. The Bible is inspired, right? Meaning that the words of Scripture were spoken by God. These are God's words. Now, inspiration in this sense is not the kind of inspiration that we talk about when we see a good movie or a song or we hear a sermon or something that has inspired us, right? We're not talking about a a heightened sense of of emotion. Um, What we're talking about is God's direct involvement in the composition of the Scripture, so much so that the very words of the Bible are the words of God himself. Now, this is a claim that the Scriptures make for themselves, all right? We see this, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, for training in righteousness. That word there, breathed out by God, it's, it's, that's a word that Paul made up in the Greek. Okay, but, but outside of this, there is no other mention of this word. This is something that Paul just made up to describe, hey, God breathed out the word of God. These are his very words. All scripture is breathed out. Um, and I mean, it doesn't really get much plainer than that. Um, you can see the extent of the inspiration here when he says all scripture. So, so that's the Old Testament and anything that's in the New Testament that is considered Scripture. Every single bit of that was breathed out by God. All the words in all the Bible inspired by God. The words, okay? This isn't just ideas, all right? God didn't just look at Moses and say, hey, I want you to write about the history of the Israelites. And Moses was like, oh, okay. And he didn't go and do research and write it all out. He wrote what God basically told him to write. He inspired the exact words. But now that does not mean 
that Moses and the other biblical writers were just robots and machines that God used to write the scripture. So each author wrote of their own will and their own accord using their own style, right? And you see in their writing their own personalities and their own quirks coming through in the things that they say. They drew from their own experiences and their own knowledge whenever they were writing. And we, we see this in 2 Peter one twenty one. It says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Men spoke, right? This, this is what they did, but they were influenced and directed by the Holy Spirit. They were carried along by the Word of God. So this, this understanding of inspiration, if we, if, we know, if we believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, that every single word God has intended to be there in Scripture, then there are four characteristics that we can draw from that, that we can apply to Scripture. Okay, and we're going to look at each one of those four. That's going to comprise the, the rest of this. Really, each one of those four. And the first one, and this is your first blank there, is authority. Meaning that all the words of the Bible are God's words. Therefore, it is completely truthful and authoritative, and it must be submitted to. All right, if the Bible is the very words of God, then by default, it is of the highest authority. God is king, God is creator, God is ruler. When he speaks, we submit to that. And if the, all of the words of the Bible are inspired by God, then that means that it is of the highest authority. Now, 2 Timothy, we just looked at, all scriptures breathed out by God. That's not the only verse in scripture that lets us know that all the Bible is inspired by God. There are hundreds of, thus says the Lord. In the, those phrases in the Bible, those are the very words of God. We also see this in Matthew 4, 4, when Jesus is being tempted, he confronts Satan and he says, hey, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And in the context, Jesus had just been quoting several verses of scripture from Deuteronomy. He, he was quoting all this scripture. And then Satan tried to tempt him with food and he, he says, no. Man lives by every word from the mouth of God. He's referring to all the scripture that he had just quoted. Jesus is saying that this scripture he just quoted, this is, these are words that proceed from the mouth of God. Also, we see things, um, references to scripture, like in Acts 1.16, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. So you see the, the cooperative work here, the Holy Spirit working through David to speak the scripture, right? And then right after Peter says this, he quotes several verses from Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. So he's saying that those Psalms, those passages of scripture that David wrote, those were inspired by the Holy Spirit. These are God's words. Now, several other verses could be cited, but the point is that Jesus and Paul, Peter, and all the other apostles considered the scriptures to be the very words of God himself. And now if the Bible is indeed the words of God, then by default, those words are completely truthful. Okay? We see this in Titus 1-2. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. Now man, that verse right there, you could preach a whole sermon on that. I mean, that's incredible. Look at everything that's there. But the, 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 main, the main point is God who does not lie. Okay, So if these words came from God, they are completely truthful because God does not lie. We see this um, exemplified again in Hebrews 6, 17 through 18. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, he interposed with an oath. 
so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope that is set before us. God gave a promise, and then God sealed that promise with an oath. Okay, So as if the promise was not enough from God, he sealed that with an oath. Okay, And he says, by these two unchangeable things, because the word of God will never fail, because it is impossible for God to lie. So you see, everything that proceeds from the mouth of God is completely truthful. And the Bible, having proceeded from the mouth of God, is completely truthful. We can rely upon it. We can trust on it. And very simply, 2 Samuel 7, 28, you are God and your words are true. This is always true. And now also part of the authority derives from the fact that God's words are the ultimate standard of truth. We see this in John 17, 17. Jesus is praying to God and he prays to God for his disciples and he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And this is significant because Jesus is not just saying that the Bible is true in a sense that it must, conf- it, it obviously conforms to some kind of higher standard. He says, your word is truth. Your word is the standard of truth. It is truth itself. God's words are the standard of truth. So therefore, because God's words are God's words, and they are always true, they are the standard of truth, then to disbelieve or disobey any scripture is to disbelieve or to disobey God. Now, several times Jesus rebukes the Pharisees and the disciples for not believing everything that the prophets had spoken, right? He says that a lot. They've disobeyed and disbelieved Scripture. Therefore, they've disobeyed and they've disbelieved God. That's what gives Jesus the right to rebuke them because they were sinning in that. The Word of God is our sole, final, ultimate authority for all matters of our faith and its practice. And that leads us to our next characteristic of the Bible. The word is authoritative, and it is also necessary, the necessity of Scripture. And what we mean by that is that the Bible is necessary for knowing the gospel, okay, for maintaining spiritual life, and for knowing certain aspects of God's will. And we'll look at each one of those. So the first is the Bible is necessary for knowing the gospel. We see this in Romans 10, 13-14, and then verse 17. Paul says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? So then, faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. We have the word of Christ recorded for us in the scriptures. So the Bible is necessary for us to understand the gospel. The Bible is necessary. The the, the Bible is the means by which God has preserved the gospel for us. So if we toss out the Bible and we toss out the authority of the Bible, we're leaving all access that we have to the gospel right there. The Bible informs us of what the gospel is. For whenever we speak and whenever we preach, people hear the word of Christ and they're moved to faith. The Bible is necessary for us to know the gospel. The Bible is also necessary for maintaining our spiritual life. Look back again at Matthew 4.4. We looked at that earlier. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Um, the, uh, anytime somebody comes and explains to me that they're, they're feeling spiritual, just spiritually dry, like they're, they're, they're not communing well with God like they thought, or man, they're just not connecting it. They speak, and I feel like God's not hearing me. Um, I don't feel God active in my life. The first thing that I always ask them is, man, how, how much time are you spending in the Word? 
How much time are you spending in the Bible? Are you studying the scriptures? Are you communing with God through his word? Um, because Jesus makes plain here that, that our sustenance is not just food. That our sustenance, our spiritual sustenance is the word of God. Just as our bodies are nourished by physical food, our spirits are nourished by the word of God. Um, and then check this out in First Peter. You see the same thing. Like newborn babes long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation. Now the pure spiritual milk that Peter mentions is referring to the discussion that Peter had concerning the word of God just a couple verses previous at the very end of chapter 1. He talks about how the word of God is eternal. It says all flesh is like grass and our flowers are fade, but the word of God will last forever. So therefore, like newborn babes long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. It is by absorbing the scripture, studying the scripture, meditating the scripture that we are nourished and that we can grow up to salvation. They're necessary for us not only to maintain our spiritual health, but also to grow and and be sanctified. The scriptures are also necessary for knowing certain aspects of God's will. That was the third tenet of of the necessity. So many people, you know, they, they live with the idea that the only way that God reveals his will to them is, is through some kind of, you know, spiritual prompting, you know, or, or some kind of intuition that they have. Like, this is what I'm supposed to do. Like, I feel like God wants me to do this, or I feel like God wants me to do that. And, you know, sometimes that happens. Scripture talks about there are certain promptings that we can experience. Um, but it's not, that is not the only way that God speaks to us. That is not the only way that he's revealed his will to us. God has revealed his will to us through the words in the Bible. For example, there are many, many, many places in the Bible where God has said, hey, do not do this. That's God's will for you. It's to not sin. He says, don't do these things. Kevin DeYoung is a pastor, and, and he's, uh, he's famous for, for saying something along the lines of, look, if you don't know the will of God for your life, then do anything that you want, but don't sin. Because you know that you'll be in the will of God, because you're not sinning, right? Do anything that you want, as you continue to wait for God to maybe reveal more clearly to you through his word. Do anything that you want, but just don't sin. Um, and now, to put it positively, right, instead of don't sin, you know, the, the Bible plainly says in 1 Thessalonians 4 3, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. Does it get much more plainer than that? It's very clear. When people come to me asking about the will of God, I say, be sanctified. <laughs> Study the Bible, grow, grow in the Lord, right? The sanctification is the process of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. So pursue those things that make you fall in love with Jesus Christ all over again. This is the will of God for you. And then also, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. So you see, the scripture is necessary for us to determine certain aspects of God's will. If we would not have had this book recorded, then we would not have access to what we know that we should do. It's a necessary part of the Christian life. We know by reading, memorizing, and meditating on it, that we can grow deeper in our walks with Christ, we can grow deeper in obedience to the Lord, and that we can find nourishment for our souls, help us to discern the will of God. So the Bible is completely authoritative. The Bible is completely necessary. And so the next question after that is, okay, but is it literally everything that I need? Is all? Am I going to be able to find all of the truth that I need in the Bible? And that leads us to the next doctrine of sufficiency. The scriptures contain all the words that we need in order to find salvation, 
to grow in obedience to the Lord, and to live the lives that God has desired for us. Do the the scriptures really contain everything that you need to to live the abundant life that Christ talks about? Yes. The answer is yes. Now, remember when we looked at 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction. We're going to look at that again, but notice the verses directly before and after it. Paul is speaking to Timothy and he says, From childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So the sacred writings that he's talking about is is the Old Testament scriptures. And he says that these writings contain everything you need to make you wise into salvation. They reveal to you what salvation is. Now this is the Old Testament that Paul is referring to. He's saying, you can read the Old Testament, Timothy, and this will inform you of everything that you need to do to be saved. Um, Now, praise the Lord, we have the New Testament that unpacks a lot of the stuff in the Old Testament that makes it even clearer for us what we need to do to be saved. The the scriptures are are totally sufficient to make us wise for salvation. And also, look at the next part. Read that by God, profitable for teaching, okay, So everything in the Bible, anything that we need to know as far as teaching is concerned, it's all there in the Scripture. Scripture is profitable for reproof. It tells us what not to do. Okay, It is useful for correction. After it's told us what not to do, it tells us, okay, now this is what you do. And for training in righteousness. This helps us grow in the Lord, teaches us how to live lives that are pleasing to God so that the man of God or woman of God may be completely, and that's supposed to be completely, or complete, equipped for every good work. All right? The scripture alone is enough to make you stand complete and mature before the Lord. Everything that you need is contained in the Bible. Everything. Every good work that God could possibly call you to do, you're going to find everything that you need for that in the Bible, in the scriptures. It's all there. And now, in fact, you know, if you've been coming to church on Sunday mornings, I mean, you've been hearing the, the, the series that we've been going through in the Sermon on the Mount, this is in fact what Jesus Christ has been trying to tell us this whole time. Um, in Matthew 7, verse 12, Jesus says, So in everything that you do, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, for this is the law and the prophets. Now that term, the law and the prophets, refers to the Old Testament. Jesus is referring to the Old Testament. So Jesus is saying, look, if you want to sum up the entirety of the Old Testament, okay, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's the entire Old Testament summarized in one maxim right there. Now, this points back, when Jesus says the law and the prophets, this actually points back to, to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Remember when Jesus says, hey, do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets, right? But instead, I came to fulfill them. So Jesus says, don't think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. And then everything after that, right? He starts getting into anger, divorce, adultery, lust, and fasting and giving and praying, all these things. He's explaining exactly how you fulfill the law and the prophets. Okay? This is exactly how you completely fulfill the will of God. How you can be complete. Right? He's explaining all these things. And then when he says here, when he refers back to the law and the prophets, this forms a literary term in the Greek that's called an inclusio. 
Okay, meaning that in 517 when he said the law and the prophets and in 712 where he said the law and the prophets, that acts as kind of like a bracket that, that says, look, everything in between here, this is the law and the prophets. Everything. So Jesus has been telling us in the Sermon on the Mount everything that we need to, be, to do, right, to live a life that is pleasing to God. He is teaching us how that we can be complete and equipped for every good work. And all of that is found in the Bible. In the words, in the script, in the words of God, in the scriptures. So we can approach the scripture with the confidence that it contains everything that we need to sustain us in this life. Now, now, how encouraging is that? There is not a single situation or circumstance that you will ever find yourself in where the word of God will not be a comfort, where the word of God will not be a guide, where the word of God will not inform you. You are not left on your own. If you have the word of God, you have everything that you need to face whatever life can throw at you. Now, it also means the sufficiency of Scripture also means that we're to derive our understanding of God, mankind, and the world from the Bible and the Bible alone. All right. Now, I'm not saying that you can't consult like commentaries or other books or other preachers or, or sermons or anything like that. All that stuff is helpful. All right. But but what you need to do is you need to, to, to be like the Bereans. The Bereans were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Now, the Bereans, these were people that considered the scriptures to be completely sufficient, right? Even above the words of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul comes into town and he's healing people left and right. He wipes some sweat off with his handkerchief and throws it on the ground. Somebody goes and picks it up and touches somebody else with it and that's what heals them. And the Bereans are saying, yeah, Paul, I see you're doing all this amazing stuff, but let's check what you're saying with the Bible. And they were considered of more noble character than those in Thessalonica because of that. They considered the scriptures were completely sufficient. Nobody came and convinced them of anything that the scripture did not say because that was their standard of truth. We need to be like the Bereans. Now, we, we and, and this, is, this is really prevalent um, amongst the church today, but we really undermine the sufficiency of scripture. Sometimes we don't mean to do it. It's, you know, we, it's, we're not intentionally going out seeking to undermine the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. But whenever we go and we derive our theology and our doctrine from movies like The Shack and books, you know, and Heaven is for Real and Left Behind and all that, a lot of this stuff in these things is demonstrably false and even heretical. Um, but whenever we go and we derive our theology from that without ever comparing anything that those books or those things say to Scripture, we're undermining the sufficiency of what God has given us. And we're saying, no, I'm going to derive my knowledge of truth from this rather than from the Word of God. And that, that has led to a lot of bad understandings in the church, a lot of misconceptions about who God is and the things that he does and how he works because we're not going back to the Word of God and considering that our ultimate standard of truth. So we must consider the scriptures as completely sufficient for everything. And everything that we learn, we take it back to the word to see if the Bible supports um, what, what we think that we know. And so the Bible is completely authoritative. The Bible is necessary for your life. The scriptures are totally sufficient for everything you need. They are all that you need. But I understand that there, there's, there's a lot of people in the church that have you know, the, the, the Bible, it kind of scares them. 
You know, it, reading the Bible and, and trying to understand it and apply it to your life is a daunting task. And, and, and it kind of scares people away. They don't feel confident. They don't, they don't feel sufficient in themselves, adequate to be able to read it and study it. And so that's why this next doctrine is, is especially sweet. This is the clarity of Scripture. And this is on the back. This is the, the, the fourth characteristic. This is the clarity of Scripture. The Bible is written in such a way that its teachings are able to be understood by all who read it, seeking God's help and being willing to follow it. Yeah, I mean, anybody, right, who's ever read the Bible seriously has probably soon realized that there are some parts of the Bible that are difficult to understand. Some parts that are simple, but then there are some parts that are, that are difficult, right? I mean, hey, even Peter mentions this. In, in chapter 3, verse six, 15 through 16, he says, So also our beloved Paul wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, speaking of this as he does in all of his letters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So just a side note, notice that Peter refers to the letters of Paul with the scriptures. He says that they, they twist the letters of Paul as they do the other scriptures. Isn't that interesting? The letters of Paul are considered scriptures that early on in the history of the church. But anyway, Paul, Peter says that these things are hard to understand. These are things are difficult. But difficult does not mean impossible to understand. If we're willing to put in the work, if we're willing to put in the, um, the mental and the intellectual rigor needed to try to understand, and if we pray and ask for God to reveal his word to us, he will. We can understand it. Difficult does not mean impossible. And to show you this, check out Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the, the part of what's called the Shema. This was something that uh, the Old Testament Israelites, they would, they would recite them to themselves um, at the very beginning of this chapter. And so he recites the Shema, and then speaking of the Shema, he says, And these words I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Now, Moses is saying here that the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament is simple enough to teach to, the, to your children. And not only is it simple enough for you to teach to your children, the Old Testament, okay? Not the New Testament, the Old Testament. Not only is that simple enough to teach to your children, but you should be able to teach that diligently, effectively, properly to your children, and now back then, okay, we, we, we're at an advantage, okay? We have the printed word of God. The printing press is an amazing thing. I've got every single translation of the Bible right here in my pocket. I can pull it up anytime I want to, okay? And, and because of that, I don't have as much scripture memorized as I need to. But back then, that's all they could do. They had to memorize the word of God. And so Moses is saying, look, the scripture is simple enough for you to memorize it. And then when you go to the temple, and then you go home, teach it diligently to your children. And look, you should know it so well. Talk of it when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise, all the time. This is something you should be discussing all the time. The scripture is simple enough to be understood by little children. And this is the Old Testament, okay? Um, Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Something about the Word of God is that the more you're in it, the more you dig into it, you find, you, you, look, you go to it a simpleton, right? That's how I started. I knew nothing about the Bible. I still don't know much about the Bible at all. 
But what I have found is that the more that I read it, the more I meditate upon it, the more I memorize it, the more the wisdom of God is imparted to me. And it is, it is making, Lord willing, okay, it is making this fool a wise man. I can testify to that because the testimony of the Lord is sure. And now we see this as well. Psalm 119, verse 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Now look, the unfolding of your words. What, what kind of picture does that paint in your mind? The unfolding of your words. And whenever I read that, I think of somebody who's pouring over the scripture. And the more they read it, the more and more it starts to make sense. It unfolds before them and it paints a beautiful portrait of truth, right? And it gives like, it imparts. That's an important word, meaning that it literally gives to you. It becomes a part of you, imparts understanding to the simple. You go to the word of God and it will literally make you smarter, <laughs> okay? Um, Read it, devour it, desire it. Now, Jesus, it's important to know, Jesus never justifies any of the disciples or Pharisees' misunderstandings of Scripture by saying, oh yeah, I can, I can see how you get that. That's not quite clear. He, he never does that. You know what Jesus does? He says, what, have you not read this? Have you not seen what Moses said? Have you not seen what God said? Like, what? what What's the problem here? Jesus doesn't assume that anything in the Bible is hard to understand. He, he says, look, take it at plain value, at face value. This is what the Word of God says. Jesus considers it simple. Um, now, another interesting point to make, right, is that the majority of the Old Testament and the New Testament was written not to scholars or to educated church leaders, but written to lay people, right, written to the general public. Um, the, the, these were letters and, and books that were written to inform simple people of the things that were going on. Um, and, and, and they were for lay people in the church to read and to understand. So they were simple in that regard. Now, we also have a great help with us in understanding the Scripture and that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling each and every single one of us. If you've been bought by the blood of Christ, if you've repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus, then you've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and He helps us to understand the Word of God. We see this, 1 Corinthians 2.14, the unspiritual man, the man who's not saved, the man who does not have the Holy Spirit, the man who is not concerned with spiritual things at all whatsoever. The unspiritual man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Right? The things in the Bible, they are spiritual matters. And if you're not a spiritual person, it's going to be very hard for you to understand, is what Paul is saying here. Um, but if you've been saved then the Holy Spirit helps you. He assists you. He aids you in understanding and deciphering and determining what the Scripture has to say. This shows us, this verse shows us that the Bible is written so clearly that a per but a person who is not willing to receive its teachings will not understand it. A person who does not have the Spirit of God within them, you're going to have a much harder time trying to understand what the Scriptures say. And how to apply it to your life. But even an unbeliever who is sincerely pursuing truth, who sincerely desires to know the truth of God, they can read the Bible and the Holy Spirit will begin a work convicting them of their sin and they'll be able to see things more clearly. And it is the scripture, as we have seen, is wise to, is sufficient to make them wise unto salvation. The scripture themselves can lead them to the Lord. So the scripture is clear. Scripture is 
you are capable of reading it on your own and understanding it and applying it to your life. The Bible promises that you can do that. Um, And the more you do it, the more wise you will become and the easier it will become. Now, what I want to leave you with is, is a method that you can use yourself to help read the Bible to help study the Bible on your own, to help apply it to your life. Now, if you're, if you're not in a small group in our church or in a D group, then you're really missing out on this, and this may be your first exposure to this because we do this in our small groups and we do this in our D groups because it's so effective. And I'm talking about HEAR journals, okay? H-E-A-R, HEAR journals. HEAR journals are something we've incorporated into our small groups and our D groups. Um, the HEAR journaling method is a way to read the Bible with a life-transforming purpose. Okay, we go to the Bible expecting to be changed by it. And it's because of what the, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. You cannot interact with the word of God and not be changed. Right? If you're doing it rightly and you're doing it correctly, the word of God will change you. And so this here journaling method is a means of approaching the Bible and reading it with a life transforming purpose in mind, expecting to be, to commune with the Lord through the scriptures. Um, now the, uh, we, we encourage you, right, to dig into the Bible for yourselves. And this is how you do this, right? The, the, the first H in, in the here method is highlight. Now, after reading a passage of Scripture, highlight each verse that speaks to you by copying it down. All right. So say you're reading the Bible, you're reading John chapter 3, and you come across John chapter 3, verse 16. You say, wow, that verse really stands out to me. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That really stands out to me. You're going to write that down in your journal or whatever. I've got all my here journals in an app on my phone. I just type it all in there, and I've got records of every single here journal I've ever done right there. Um, write it in your journal, put it on your phone, whatever. Keep it somewhere where you can access it, where you can go back to it. But highlight what stands out to you. Now, the E is explain. Now, at that stage, you'll explain what the text means. And now, you can ask yourself some simple questions to help you understand what the text means in its original context. Okay? So... Questions like, why was this written? To whom was it originally written? How does it fit with the verses before and after? Why did the Holy Spirit include this passage in the book? What is he intending to communicate through this text? The answers to those questions may not be readily apparent. Okay, So don't be afraid to you know, consult commentaries and things like that. Um, but don't rely upon those tools only. Okay, put in the time, put in the sweat, put in the prayer, the effort needed to try to understand everything that's going on on your own. I love what Robbie Gallaty says. He says, get into the word until the word gets into you. Right. So just be devoted, stay devoted to this. Try to understand exactly what the original author was trying to say to the original audience. And then you go to the next step. Apply. And again, there's more, more, more questions that you can ask. Now, this, this application is the heart of the whole process, right? Everything you've been doing up to this is, is for this moment, okay? This is the meat of this, this method. So you can ask, ask yourself some questions. How can this help me? What does this mean to me today? What would the application of this verse look like in my life? What does this mean for me, to me? 
And what is God saying to me through this? Now, it's important to distinguish application and explanation, okay? Because as we've been doing this throughout the church, we've seen a lot of people kind of get these things confused, and it's easy to get them confused, okay? But look, when you're, when you're doing the explanation process, you are trying to understand the immediate context of that verse that the original writer would have intended for the original audience how they would have received it and how they would have understood it. Okay, you're trying to determine the intent of the author to who the audience he was writing to. But when you're applying the text, you're taking that basic principle or meaning of the text. You're pulling it into your own context. Okay, and you're looking at your circumstances. You're looking at your surroundings. You're looking at your giftings. You're looking at you yourself and you're applying that principle to your life. What does this mean for me? Okay, so that's the difference between explanation and application. Explanation, what did this mean for them? Application, what does this mean for me? All right, and then the last, the R, is respond. Whatever you learn from the Bible, okay, you, you've, you've found something that really sticks out to you, that really speaks to you, you've explained it in its original context, you've taken that meaning, you've applied it to yourself, and you say, okay, so this is what this means for me now. But if, if, if that's all you do is just begin to understand what this means for you and you stop right there and you're not propelled into obedience, then it's pointless what you're doing. So we must respond to the word of God. And you can write a call to action. I'm going to do this, right? You can describe how you will be different. Indicate what you are going to do because of what you've learned. You can write a prayer to God. Put action behind what you learn, okay? This is your response to what you've just read, to what God has just shown you. <clears throat> so that's the here method. The Bible is inspired by God. It is the only standard of truth that we have in this world. Um, it is what we compare everything to. Um, it is authoritative. It is necessary for our lives. It's completely sufficient for everything that we need. And it's clear we can do this. You can use this here method to help you. Um, now to close out, Psalm 119 is an amazing psalm. Amazing psalm. And in, in almost every verse, the psalmist provides some kind of tribute to the word of God. Okay, The, the psalmist that wrote this psalm was in love with the word of God, treasured the word of God. Okay, And he, it leads him to say things like this. How blessed are those ways, are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Verse one, verse 89, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. It's not going anywhere. Forever, your word is settled in heaven. Verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, provides guidance, provides comfort in dark times. Verse 142, your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness and your word is truth. Again, the word of God is truth. It's not just true, it is the standard of truth. Verse 151, you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. Verse 160, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. This book, the Bible, it's not going anywhere. John Piper said, when all your favorite preachers are gone and all their books are long forgotten, you will still have your Bible. It will still be there. So master it. <laughs>